Welcome to the DigiSoc podcast. My name is David Geerts, and in this podcast I will be interviewing researchers from the KU Leuven Digital Society Institute about how their research contributes to a positive digital society. Today I am talking to Elisa Lievevrouw. Elisa has a master in sociology and a PhD in social sciences at KU Leuven. Currently, she is postdoc researcher at the Meaningful Interactions Lab, as well as at the Life Sciences and Society Lab, both at the Faculty of Social Sciences at K. Leuven. There she is working on the making of digital twins and in silico modeling in healthcare and the implementation of digital health in mental health practice. In today's episode, we will discuss biomedical innovations and policy making which is the topic of or was the topic of her phd welcome elisa hello okay elisa so biomedical innovations and policy making uh, that's a mouthful uh, so mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit what did you research and how in your opinion does it contribute to a positive digital society yes of course so maybe um To explain a bit more biomedical innovations, so I was part of the Life Sciences and Society Lab when I conducted this um, research, and in the uh, in the lab we investigate biomedical innovations and the social implications of that. Mm-hmm. But for my PhD research, I actually focused on digital health technologies. So, what were the so what are the social implications of digital health technologies? That's very short. Uh, because I focused on the different ways that policymakers actually try to integrate these digital te- technologies, sorry, um, into their existing healthcare infrastructures. So mm-hmm. how do they make standards, <clears throat> policies, uh, regulations, governance frameworks? And in doing so, how do they n- negotiate actually different ways of um, looking at health, at lifestyle, at medical devices, mm-hmm. uh, and so on? Yeah. So, Yeah. Can you give a, a brief example of digital health technologies? What what is uh, included? Uh, well, I think that's a really good question, actually, because I wanted to highlight here that I have in my PhD, it was a be- deliberate choice to take a very broad understanding mm-hmm. of digital health technologies. So it can range from the more simple, if I can say it like that, electronic health records, um, mobile health applications, so wearables, sensors, and so on. But it also, um, uh, I also discussed more complex digital pills, AI uh, technologies, and so on. And I think, um, the re- so the reason, it was a, a deliberate choice, as I said. So um, I think it was super important to have this broad Uh, view of digital health because the biggest challenge to do research on a topic that is in the making is that you have to find a way to be able to look at it when the research object in itself also mm-hmm. changes over time and so also changes during your PhD. Yeah. yeah. To give a, a small example maybe when I started uh, my PhD project um Everyone talked about mHealth, wearables, and so on. So that was the big thing. You all, every um, in in newspapers and everything, you saw big headlines on wearables and 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 yeah. uh, mobile health. It was called uh, at that time. But when a year later, when I started to do interviews with developers, 
they all talked about digital health, AI, and so on. And I felt really, really, really uncomfortable <laughs> by mentioning wearables. And so that made me realize that it was very important to have an umbrella yeah. um, concept. And so this umbrella concept actually comes from the World Health Organization. So in I think it was 2017, they actually um, published a, a policy document and they already stated uh, it was about digital health and so they explained yeah. uh, that uh, digital health is an umbrella for various digital innovations in healthcare. Yeah, so that's the definition that you follow then yes. for your PhD yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I understood uh, when when we talked earlier about the topic that that it evolved a little bit uh, the direction of of or the focus uh, at least of your research. Can can you explain a little bit how that process went? Why did you what did you choose first to work and and why and and how did it evolve? Yes, um, so I think when we started with this research, when I started looking into the literature, I um, immediately felt that there were sort of two camps. So either you were a techno-optimist mm -hmm. and you really liked digital health and digital health was the only future for healthcare, or you were more critical, um, like a lot of critical social scientists, and you um, raised um, very um, important concerns relating to privacy, for example, or autonomy or um, empowerment or um, you name it. Mm -hmm. um, but... For some reason, these debates were sort of deadlocked. It was either you are in you were in in the anti camp, if I can say it like this, yeah, yeah. or you were for digital health. And so, as a researcher, I felt cornered. I felt that I had to take a stance, and I really didn't like this, uh, honestly. And so, um, at the beginning of my PhD, I really had to find ways to sort of move away from these sort of heated debates, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I started looking at policy making and the way um, this was done. So it was a shift from um, a shift to the question of how, how do we do digital health in practice? And then in my case, it was in policy making practices. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, how do we try to integrate it? What are the discussions there? Um, and so on. So it was a move um, towards practices. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So We'll, we'll discuss a little bit more about the policy making and the results. And so for, can you first explain what type of research did you do? Um, did you look at documents? Did you interview people? Who did you interview? Uh, can, can you explain a bit more of that process? Um, yes. So I think, um, well, the difficulty, as I said, for a, um, a research object in flux or mm -hmm. uh, in the making um, is that you... Um, well, y y it continuously changes. So your data gathering is a continuous process. Mm -hmm. um, so and even until the last uh, weeks of my PhD, I had new um, data, actually. Yeah. So, that's, um, so I had like two different ways of collecting my data. I had a monitoring part, if I can explain it like that, mm -hmm. where I, so maybe first, uh, obviously I did uh, qualitative research. So everything was yeah. based on qualitative um, data collection. Um, so in my monitoring uh, phase, what I what I did continuously was I so I collected um, media articles, uh, newspaper articles, and so on related to digital health. I conducted a lot of expert interviews with policymakers in the field, um, with sometimes legal scholars, um, legal experts, developers, um, and so on, sort of to get a sense of the field. Mm -hmm. 
And then I went to a lot of um, conferences, uh, workshops, um, hackathons, even at the beginning of my PhD, to really see what people were discussing, what was important for them, yeah. what were the issues, um, and so on. Yeah. So that was a, a continuous, the continuous part. And yeah. then during these, uh, during my monitoring, so to say, um, some of the some policy documents were discussed more than others, and so I um, I sort of selected a few a few of these policy documents um, or happenings, um, and then I I did the same data collection. I did again interviews, again um, a, a more in depth search of media articles and so on, um, and um, I I went to different conferences more specific on that. Um, specific policy um, policy document, for example. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. can can you give an example of of one of those policy documents that you say that was important? I focused on that, and and also who are the policy makers that are involved? Then uh, yes, make it concrete. Well, so I started this re- uh, this research by looking at policy documents and 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 um, the policy making scene, if I can say it like that, in Belgium and Europe, mm-hmm. um, and in both. Um, scenes um, I saw that they always mentioned the importance of having um, a medical device approval so that was something really really important and they mentioned this a lot in, in policy documents as well so for example in a, I think one of the early the earlier reports of the European Commission which was uh, the green paper um, they mentioned this as an issue like we don't have uh, enough um um, approval procedures for digital technologies. We cannot really assess the quality of these products. Yeah. So, for example, and they always referred to an American uh, policy draft mm-hmm. as an example. Like, look at in look at the U.S. They already have this, and we don't have this, and it's really an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, same in Belgium. Um, and so that because it was so it was so often mentioned. I looked. I started looking at that document, and then I zoomed in, and it was on one of the first um, documents in my PhD, or one of the first chapters, yeah. um, where I really traced actually the making of that document. What yeah. was involved? Who was involved? Mm-hmm. So, um, who, what were the the issues at stake in this uh, in this um, in the making of that draft, and so on? So I traced back the history of the making of that policy document. Yeah, and is that are you referring to the is that the medical device regulation the the MDR so the FDA version is not the same as the MDR but it, it relates to the same um, framework or the same uh, governance structure mm-hmm. um, but it's obviously only in the US so it was actually the FDA the Food and Drug Administration mm-hmm. um, who at a certain point realized that they needed a new struct a new infrastructure or a new um, policy um, guideline on how to approve digital health technologies as medical, as devices. medical devices. But it was yeah. only applicable for the US, of course. And that made yeah. it very interesting because, so they were the first, so mm-hmm. they, they have sort of set the scene. Um, and a lot of these, uh, uh, some of the the elements in these policy documents traveled to through Europe as well, right? So um, there was an interaction. They were not totally separate. Yeah. Um, but then obviously in Europe, we were already working on the MDR. Um, so it was not related to digital health, but um, at a certain point, digital health here also became much uh, 
much more important or it be, it, it came to the f- to the forefront yeah. and so that's why also in the MDR today um, we have an uh, an element inscribed on software mm-hmm. um, um, yeah but it, it was also I mean f- to make this um, specific software as medical device element into the MDR they also looked at obviously at the guideline of the FDA because it was a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what what is uh, an interesting finding that you would say from your research and from your interviews on that specific policy? What what did you see in that process that that might be surprising or interesting? Well, I think um, just by looking at the FDA document and then the MDR in in Europe, I think you can I can relate more general um, mm-hmm. conclusions from a P- uh, that were made in my PhD. I think one is that these policy documents, um, well, they are closely uh, interlinked with the contexts where they were developed, right? So you clearly saw uh, specific European traces in the MDR, specific ways that we look at the world that are different in the US than in uh, Europe. And, um, and what, what is an example of that, for example? For example, in the US, um, focusing on digital health here, um, uh, at the so at the end when the FDA published their last uh, policy um, uh, document on digital or their their um, policy framework for digital health, it was a much more innovation friendly um, approach towards mm-hmm. digital health. So they really wanted to try. To get these products approved, um, to to sit together with the developers, um, try to understand how these technologies worked. Um, in Europe, um, the history was that we already were working on a new medical device regulation for other reasons, uh, because some of the um, um, we had a few scandals. I don't know if you uh, remember the breast implant scandal, for example. Um, Can you explain? That uh, it was the, the PIP scandal, uh, I think, and uh, it w- it was um, well, a lot of um, breast implants were sold on the market, and in mm-hmm. the end, people got heavy reactions, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and um, so actually it was approved. I don't know what the details were, but maybe too early, or there was something wrong with the product. So, um, and then that's that's when um, the European governments, uh, well, Europe started to. Um, redraw the a new uh, medical device regulation. So mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the US, for example, they really made a specific regulation for digital health. And in Europe, it was integrated in yeah. a much larger infrastructure, which also um, relates to the healthcare infrastructure in Europe. It's much older. Mm-hmm. It's um, so you, um, you have more historical traces that you take with you in new regulations as well. So that was yeah, yeah. a big And less difference. innovation oriented than uh, if I hear it Apparently, correctly. yeah, the MDR is, is more strict. Um, so the the quality bar has been set higher. Or it, it, so the burden, uh, burden, maybe I should, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, may, developers will, will say that it's a burden. I mean, the, the requirements, yeah, let's yeah. say, uh, for an approval are much more difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, a, for example, a difference. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, are there other any other regulations that you looked at? I guess I not, you mentioned that you picked a couple of them. Uh, can you give another example? Yeah. So from the US, I sort of 
traveled back to Europe mm-hmm. um, and I um, started looking at a recommendation by the European Commission on digital health that was published in 2018. Um, and what was, I think, interesting there that it was actually the first time that the European Commission started to talk about digital health. So it was a vision for digital health in general. Um, and what I did there, I traced back all the European documents that related to digital health. Um, for example, the GDPR is a very important regulation for um, digital mm-hmm. health. It has a lot of impact, um, but it never explicitly mentions digital health. So and in Europe, on a European level, a lot of regulations never make any reference to digital health uh, as such, yeah. but they do have a, uh, they do shape uh, the making of digital health technologies. So by I started from that 2018 document and then I traced back um, all the, the related documents and so on. Um, and what I saw there is that so um, European vision on digital health was not so straightforward, um, but it was super scattered mm-hmm. um, across also different um, different unions in the European Commission, right? So different working groups, different. So you had um, the health department, for example, um, but then also um, the more the digital um, department. So they all had their own ideas on digital health. And so the 2018 document was the first document where it sort of converged uh, into one yeah. um, vision on digital health. So yeah. that's uh, another one. And then... Um, I think the last one was on um, on Belgium, and um, in so Belgium, uh, the Belgian government actually tried to uh, develop a framework for reimbursing digital health technologies, um, and it, it's called the M Health Belgium Validation Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started from from that uh, well pyramid here, and then I also traced back how um, it relates, um, or actually how it brings back different visions on what we understand by medical yeah. devices or health uh, and so on. And what I saw there, for example, is that obviously Belgium and Europe are closely interlinked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Europe, uh, so a lot of European regulations were embedded into that pyramid and that gave a lot of frictions as well. So I yeah. don't know if I have yeah. to elaborate yeah. already, but... Uh, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I think that, that we can now move to our second part. Yeah, um, good. And yeah, in the second part, uh, we would like to always talk about the the impact of uh, of the research. And I think indeed that that you already indicated uh, a couple of things. Uh, I hear that uh, you're not just looking uh, as a sociologist, uh, you're not a legal scholar looking at the document per se uh, in itself, but you look at how it was shaped, uh, if I understood it correctly, in the traces and and and, and how it came to be. Um, so. Uh, thinking about that, what are then the implications of your research results? Do you have any recommendations for policymakers, uh, or or how do you think that your research results uh, will create an impact? So, my research uh, results are, are maybe less straightforward. So it's it's not that I looked mm-hmm. at I didn't do an implementation study where I could say well, um, policy X. Uh, worked well or something. So yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it's it's maybe less re- straightforward, but what I did, I think, tried to show with my, um, um, with this study, is that I tried to show that digital health 
is actually changing a lot of understandings mm-hmm. on healthcare. Yeah. Um, and digital health was often not perceived as something super um, fancy or it was not this innovation. It's not like AI, although I think it's a it's a part of digital health, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. or um, it's a bit less tangible. Maybe it's like so maybe so broad yes. because it cannot be pinpointed and there's so many different technologies involved. Um, yes. And I yeah. think people have um, when they think of innovations, they think of this. Einstein style mm-hmm. um, developments that I mean people that people develop devices in uh, their garage and then suddenly it pops up and then um, but what I showed with my research is that innovations are embedded mm-hmm. in society already from the start um, and so in science and technology studies this is referred to as co-production mm-hmm. so it's a continuous um, interaction between technology and society so they are just two sides of the same coin. Um, and I think that, um, for example, for uh, policymakers, but also I think for developers or industry, it's, a por- it's an important way of looking at digital health, right? It's not something that pops up out of nowhere yeah. and that we then have to regulate. It's something that is already there. So from the early on, from the early start, we do have an influence, let's say. Mm-hmm. Under, also knowing that the technology itself also influences society, right? So it goes yeah, both yeah, ways. Yeah. But um, I think that's important. Um, I think I could show that by um, in my research. In my research, by by showing this um, the making of these standards and so on, you see that from the early start, um, t- uh, digital health is not a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think then for policymakers, it's important to understand that by developing policies. So for me, a, a, a policy always enacts certain values mm-hmm. or certain ways of yeah. uh, or certain understandings. So by implementing a certain th- a certain um, policy, you always also bring into the world specific understandings. Uh, about that world Um, for example to give to give a short example here um, with a lot of these um, policies you see that we see a shift from a more narrow medical understanding so uh, towards a broader understanding of health right where Mm -hmm. lifestyle is also an important uh, element there or even or the weather or so on so everything can be part of your health right and by having this broader understanding if you bring that into regulations it has an effect Mm -hmm. right um so i think that's important for policymakers because if you don't if you are not accounting for these um uh, for for the values that you inscribe in your policies then you then you you sometimes get get frictions and com- conflicts between values and then policies do not work yeah, yeah. so okay so it, that's an interesting finding i think eh, that uh, we should not just blindly follow okay the technology and oh let's let's quickly regulate it but let's just think about the values that come with any choices that we make and make those explicit 
in the process, I yeah. guess, to make sure that we we have this this broader understanding of health uh, in in the policy, right? Yeah. Uh, when when we talk about policies and policy makers, can can you explain a little bit uh, who are you targeting? Is this the the people that make the laws, or is it the much broader? I see it much broader, but I think I mean so. For example, it's it's indeed the people that make the law, but a lot of um, a lot of these policies are also developed in administrations. Mm -hmm. right? So it's also about making standards. Um, for example, the FDA is not a, I mean, it's not Congress. It's not a regulation, but it's a guideline to approve medical device um, to approve digital health as medical device. So it's not some. It's yeah. not a regu It's not like the GDPR that was really a regulation. Mm -hmm. But you do have a lot of policy documents um, that are not inscribed in the law that yeah, have, yeah. Um, have a very impact. performative effect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so by policy makers, I, I mean all these people involved in that process. But that also means uh, developers, uh, industry, um, uh, industry advocates. Yeah. And so so on, they are right? also part of that process yes. of shaping policy. Yes. So it's not just we should not just think, oh, these are the people in parliament uh, no, 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 or, no. or the, the, the politicians no. uh, it's the entire or the ministers network. is really also the, the industry themselves. They can also have an impact yes. uh, on, on this policy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I would even maybe um, dare to argue a bit further. It's mm -hmm. not only human um, okay. elements it's yeah. also material elements it's also um, the documents in itself they have a lot of power in itself because they are po policy documents they um, are seen as um, as true mm -hmm. right so they have a performative uh, effect just by being the document okay right? so that's, that's an interesting concept so once a document is out there you're saying uh, it can have further implications, maybe beyond yes. what what the people that wrote the documents. Uh, for, exa for example, look at yeah. um, so the FDA guideline that we already discussed. Mm -hmm. It was taken up by European policymakers to to make their argument that they needed yeah. a new regulation. Or the GDPR from the other side, the GDPR in Europe, it is a regulation in Europe, but for the US, okay. it has been used as an argument to yeah. fight for more data protection regulations. Yeah. So it was not intended for that purpose, but it is still being used and yes. it has plays a role in yes. there. And uh, it has a very yeah. powerful effect. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. also brings me to the, the other part that because they have a powerful effect, it's very important when they are out there, it's not so easy to change them or turn them back. And that's why I think it's very important to yeah. Understand the um, divisions that you inscribe in these documents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and you you already touched on the the role of co-production. Can you explain that a little bit more? Why is that important um, in in your research and and for the potential implications? Oh, um, well, it relates maybe back to something that I already said. Right, this idea that so we we tend to have the idea that technologies just pop up in society mm -hmm. and that regulators are always too late. And so that's a, a very common argument in industry that regulators are too difficult, too slow, uh, too late with everything and so on. Yeah. I think it's more complex. So mm -hmm. I think it's also something that you see in my PhD. Um, and I would um, even say that regulators have a very active role also from the early, early on, uh, because, for example, a lot of these technologies were developed in research settings or parts of that. And mm -hmm. so they were funded 
by governments, by universities, and so on. So they have a very from the from the very beginning, um, they do have a role in there. And it's not that they just come at the end yeah. to make standards and regulations, yeah. right? Or um, for example, ethical committees at the beginning shape also the the early research on digital health and so on. So I don't think that yeah. um, I think that's really important to, to yeah. um, So it's a bit of a cliche that it only comes at the end. It's actually also at the beginning yes. and, and this is the co production that you talk about that society influences technology and technology influences society throughout the whole yes. uh, process. So it's a continuous policies. process. Um, yeah. right and so um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's look a little bit further in the future and, and let's see uh, what what would you like to see as an outcome of your research on the longer term? What what would a society uh, that includes your your research results and or, or that takes up recommendations or, or whatever you want to put out there in the world, what would that look like uh, for you? Mm, well, I think I have maybe... A few elements that I think that could be that could change the way we look at mm -hmm. technology. So I think first there is the role of the state in making technology. We already discussed that, but it also goes the other way around, right? It's not, um, for example, um, social scientists then have mm -hmm. often um, the idea that big tech companies are always um, uh, against regulation, for example, mm -hmm. and are always um, uh, focused on 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 um, making money, making money maybe. exactly, <laughs> um, which they probably are. But um, they also do a lot of. Um, they also shape the technology, right? So I think it's. Um, we have written an article on that, um, and it's we called it the techno tango. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's always um, mutual. Um, I mean, throughout the time, roles change, right? Yeah. So it's not government is. Pro in uh, is against innovation. Big tech is pro, right? It's they change over time, so I think it's important to account for that. Yeah. Um, that we try to me for myself as a researcher, right? It's also uh, important to keep that in mind to have an open understanding of the different stakeholders. It's yeah. not because they were <coughs> um, they were uh, device advocates or medical device advocates, for example, that they always were against regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So I think that's important to have an open understanding. Yeah. Um, so I hope that in the future <coughs> we we will have more of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then uh, second thing is um, what I want to mention here is well the idea of Cinderella techno technologies. So I think digital health is a good example of that. It's that it's a technology, as we already said before, that is not so fancy, mm -hmm. right? It's everywhere. It's everything is digital now, uh, and um, I think <clears throat> the downside of that is that we sort of dismiss its impact mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I think uh, for the future it's I think important for um, both researchers as policymakers to not underestimate the maybe more ugly uh, technologies there right okay. and so why, not only why, do, why is it then Cinderella uh, technology because they, they do a lot of they do a lot of work for bigger imaginaries they do a lot of work for visions on precision medicine for example 
or even for genetics and so on, or yeah. even for AI, right? AI so they look not, insignificant, but they have an impact. Actually, yeah, they do, uh, they do a lot of the dirty work. They make it possible. Yeah. They make precision medicine possible and mm-hmm. so on. But in being sort of the, uh, in doing that work, they do change a lot of uh, our ways of thinking on society, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's very important to not overlook uh, these technologies. I think it's, yeah. it's much more e- it's it's much more convenient and easy, of course, to look at uh, um, the very fancy AI technologies today. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's good that we look at it, but I would not underestimate the maybe less fancy uh, innovations. Yeah, yeah, so yeah That's yeah. maybe it's also something that I think is important in the future. And yeah. then. Um, the embeddedness of uh, technologies, right? They are they are very sticky. They um, stick to different understandings that we have on healthcare, but that also means that something that is developed in the US, I mean, it, it is different. I mean, some of the elements can be used in Europe, but they are different, right? They, they are mm-hmm. developed in different contexts. So I think it's yeah. important for policymakers to account for this differences, the granularity of these technologies. Yeah. And and what does that imply? That they have to change and not just take over uh, the exact regulation as in the US, but change it to the local context uh, here? Yes. So I think th- there is an argument, um, I mean, of, um, of translation, right, where you try to implement technologies into society, translate them mm-hmm. into society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Um, Often we focus on technical translation to make it possible, right? We make regulations so that it works in society. Yeah. Uh, but I think by doing that and by only focusing on the technical um, uh, aspects, we forget that th- there is a whole social uh, s- social as- um, social network that also um, that also influences the way that they yeah. uh, are implemented in yeah. society. Yeah. So a final question then is. Uh, You've been doing this research as part of your PhD within university. Uh, how will you make sure that it comes out of university, that it creates this impact uh, in the world that you would like to? Well, I think it's always a different, a difficult question mm-hmm. as a researcher. And also, I wouldn't overestimate mm-hmm. um, the outreach. Um, so I think, obviously, throughout my PhD, I've built an, a network mm-hmm. of policymakers Um And I've been in close contact sometimes with them. Um, so um, I discussed all my findings and I, I well, I, I give back um, my, my insight, so to say. Yeah. Um, but I think for the future, so now as a postdoc, I'm involved in, in different projects um, in uh, different, for example, also Horizon 2020 projects where um, the stakeholder engagement, for example, is something that is already inscribed into the project from the beginning. Yeah. And we are, um, with our uh, team, in, uh, involved in, in creating that stakeholder engagement. Mm-hmm. And that means that we um, we, dus- we discuss from early on um, the social implications of the technologies that these researchers are developing together mm-hmm. with the researchers and, um, well, patients, regulatory bodies, and so on. So I think that for me, um, creating or helping um, to bridge that gap and to, to um, also to um, influence would be maybe a bit too much, but um, to help also scientists mm-hmm. to, um, to reflect on the social aspects of the technologies that they are creating. I think yeah. that's 
I, I think that that's really interesting. Uh, it's something totally new. I just started in February, so mm-hmm. I, I have I still have a lot to learn. But I think that a lot of these elements uh, that I found in my PhD I, I can be brought back into these um, into these projects as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so um, I think yeah, that's something. And obviously, I'm also engaged in a lot of institutes and and so on so also within these projects we do write a lot of white papers policy briefs and so on so that's also for us um a way to um um, well to communicate to our understanding of certain fields so yeah yeah. yeah. okay Mm -hmm. so your phd might be finished but you're continuing the work in european projects in outreach yes 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 uh, I, I do, yes, yeah, yeah. because my PhD was in digital health and that was very broad. But as I said, it's an object in the making. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, I had to submit my PhD and then I had to sort of stop somewhere mm-hmm. to write the PhD. But I am involved in projects on in silico medicine and digital twin um, ideas, which is also, again, digital health, right? But it's another, um, maybe another yeah. part of it. Or um, specific. Yes. Uh, yeah. And for example, um, the other projects where I look at the implementation of um, a, a digital mobile health application, um, there I can really see from close by, from the practice, how these um how these researchers actually have to comply with a lot of regulations and and what works and what what, what mm-hmm. what's not working and so on. So I, I can I think there are a lot of um, new ways to continue what I started in my PhD. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's uh, great to hear, and uh, it was interesting uh, to hear some uh, new concepts and ideas, such as uh, Cinderella technologies <laughs> and 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 the role and the importance of co-production, and then the stickiness uh, with the the social fabric of society. Uh, so I learned a lot. I hope our listeners as well. And uh, thank you, Elisa, for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digisoc podcast in which we share research and insights from the KU Leuven Digital Society Institute. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elisa Lievevrouw about her research on biomedical innovations and policymaking. Her work is just a small part of a larger conversation on how we can create a positive digital society. Be sure to join us next time for more discussions with DigiSoc researchers. Until then, stay curious and critical about the digital world around us.